0: Hokie Nation, we are back for a Hokie Hoops pod after a very successful uh, Thanksgiving week slash weekend for Virginia Tech athletics across the board, obviously with the ginormous win for the football program at UVA, Um, but we're here to talk basketball. So first things first, we're going to jump into the girls tournament. Now, unfortunately, the girls tournament was not able to be viewed on television. Uh, I was able to watch a little bit of the Tulane game on my phone on Twitter On Twitter live so uh, unfortunately it was really hard to get a good read of what was going on down in the Cayman Islands based on TV views um, because there wasn't any so I'm going basically off box scores here uh, which is not exactly a great way to um, dive into (laughs) content and you know break down games but I'm gonna do my best anyway so Virginia Tech uh, won both of their games in the Cayman Islands Um, they are still the number nine team in the country after this week's AP poll coming off of those two wins Uh, Two solid wins. Kansas won the women's NIT last year. Uh, Virginia Tech was able to win that game by one. Um, After only scoring nine points in the fourth quarter, they were able to hold off Kansas, largely due to Liz Kitley's 31-18. and Absolutely a ridiculous game from Liz, who was uh, also named ACC Player of the Week as a result of that performance, uh, among the other two performances she had as well. But uh, Virginia Tech's able to hold off Kansas by one. Um, It seemed like the offense really struggled to get into a groove, and then Kansas plays a really good defense, physical style of defense. Virginia Tech had a lot of turnovers, 21 turnovers for the Hokies, uh, six more than Kansas, and was still able to win that game. So kind of just a phenomenal game from Liz. Not a whole lot of analysis outside of that. She had 31 of their 59 points um, to hold off Kansas and get that win. And then in their second game down in the Cayman Islands, Virginia Tech was also in another close one. Against Tulane, I was able to watch the last few minutes of this one, where Georgia kind of put the team on her back down the stretch. Uh, Liz was in foul trouble. Georgia had a really good fourth quarter, um, actually, a really good second half. I believe the the broadcaster said she only had two points at halftime, and she finished with twenty four, um, including an awesome move. It split the double team into the lane and hit a one legged step back uh, in the middle of the lane to put the Hokies past Tulane by a score of seventy six to seventy. Um, so it was really unfortunate that we couldn't watch either of these games because I think we would have been able to learn a lot about this team. Um, and you know, it is what it is as you know, the hookies go down there and take care of business. They still are number nine in the country. They're five and one, uh, Liz and Georgia both played phenomenal in both games. So those two things you'd expect, but I really wish we could have been able to watch those games. Uh, Mike, do you have any thoughts on either game that you couldn't watch? I, I mean, I, I- it's important to pick up two wins in a neutral
2: site tournament, right? I mean, going in, we knew that these were, you know, maybe not the two headliners in the non-conference schedule, but they were two tougher games, right? When you consider, you know, the fact that Kansas did win the women's NIT last year and Tulane is a solid uh, a solid program. So I think that, you know, coming out of there with two wins while certainly not playing your best is really encouraging, Liz, obviously, was a big reason why Virginia Tech won the Kansas game. Uh, There was really nothing going on around her. Georgia pitched him had a rough shooting night. Um, Virginia Tech just needs to have—they need to get more out of the role players, right, outside of Liz and Georgia, right? Kayla King, I think, has been largely okay, but they need somebody else to step in, and take on more of the scoring burden. Um, Matilda X's been shooting the ball uncharacteristically poorly. Um, I, I do think if, you know, she kinda, you know, gets back to the mean, I, I think it'll be fine. Virginia Tech will kinda have that fourth scorer. Um, Rose Michaud is still getting her feet back under her. I do think she seems like she's been playing um, at a at a more of a high level. She seems to be getting more comfortable in her new role in Virginia Tech's system. Um, but you know, it's really hard to gauge where they're at until we see them on TV again. And luckily for us this week, it's a pretty big game against LSU.
0: Yeah, like you said, you know, two good wins against two good programs. Um, you know, it's good to get some close wins early in the season to, you know, put yourself in those situations and come out with a victory. Um, again, really frustrating. We couldn't watch those games, but it is what it is. Not going to harp on it too much. But, yeah, you mentioned LSU. LSU was also down in the Cayman Islands, uh, as well as UConn. I mean, the, the whole the field was really good down there. Uh, we just drew Kansas and Tulane, but uh, yeah, we have LSU this week, nine o'clock on Thursday night in the ACC-SEC Challenge, first year of that uh, event, I guess you could call it. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to watching this game uh, down in Baton Rouge. LSU was able to win both of their games down in the Cayman Islands against NIA which is Niagara, and I'm just now learning, the Niagara Purple Eagles. They were able to win that game, as well as squeak out a win against UVA, uh, 76-73. to Um, Angel Reese has still not played for the the Tigers in a few weeks now. Um, I guess the general consensus is she's suspended for what we don't know. Kim Mulkey has not said, Um, but Angel Reese did not travel with LSU down to the Cayman Islands now if i know college athletics the way i think i do this uh mystery suspension will be over on thursday so i'm fully anticipating to see angel reese on the floor against virginia tech i would be shocked if the suspension goes through this game um because that's just the way these things kind of work so don't get your hopes up i'm pretty sure she'll be out on the floor on thursday for her miraculous return from whatever the suspension is
2: it's like wow you are still a part of One of the best teams in college basketball. Good to see you back. Like, it it has to be, it would have to be something pretty serious Mm -hmm. to keep her off the floor. I'd imagine she hasn't played since like November thirteenth. It's been over two weeks, almost three. Uh, This would be the game to return for. And if you were Kim Mulkey doling out a suspension, and you're looking at the schedule a little bit, maybe this is where you know uh, it's maybe not the worst. Uh, idea if you do need to issue some discipline to do it where you know she's still missing multiple games but not missing maybe the most important game in their early non-conference schedule so uh, this is a big game coming up later this week Uh, I am with you I fully anticipate uh, seeing her on the floor Angel Reese uh, which will make it Obviously a much more difficult matchup for the Hokies if Angel Reese is in the lineup, but I think we'd much rather see both these teams at full strength to get a
0: true gauge of where the Hokies are at. Yeah. And make no mistake, even without Angel Reese, this LSU team is absolutely stacked. Um, they have Flaugia Johnson back from last year's team. Uh, they have POA back from last year's team. They added Haley Van Lith out of the transfer portal. Um, Anisa Morrow had 37 and 16 against Virginia down in the Cayman Islands. And then, uh, they have a, a star freshman um, in Michaela Williams, who is averaging 17 points a game this year as a true freshman. So make no mistake with or without Angel Reese, this LSU roster is completely stacked, um, but I, I do anticipate her suspension miraculously ending on Thursday as the Hokies travel down to Baton Rouge. So with that, we will flip the page to the men's team um, three games down in, in Orlando uh, I guess we'll just start in, in kind of order of which they were played. So uh, first and foremost, I do want to mention that Virginia Tech is currently number 66 in Ken Palm. Uh, I'm going to mention every other team we played's Ken Palm number. So or off the bat, I want to at least get out there and say that Virginia Tech is currently sitting at 66 in Ken Palm. Um, their first game down in Orlando, they beat the number 86 team in Ken Palm as things currently stand in Boise State with a 82-75 to 75 win. Uh, Lynn Kidd was phenomenal in this game. He had 19-6. and six. Sean Padula was also phenomenal in this game with 18-7-6. and six. And then Hunter Couture was kind of the star of the night. Um, broke the all-time Virginia Tech three-point shooting record with 19 points on five of 10 from three. Uh, he was absolutely on fire. Um, I'll add one more stat really quick, and then I want to talk more about Hunter. But Tyler Nickel had 14 off the bench on 50% shooting um we'll talk more about him as we get through the show but i just really wanted to highlight this because i saw this take uh in group chats and on twitter after hunter broke the record and it's kind of frustrating because look i get it people like malcolm delaney people like you know vasallo you know people watch these guys play and play really well for virginia tech um, and you don't want to see you know records get broken you don't think should get broken um, the idea that hunter couture benefited from a fifth year yeah okay naturally he did But that is not the reason he broke this record. Um, And here's three reasons why. He broke the record on less games with less shot attempts and a higher three-point shooting percentage. Uh, Hunter Couture, who now has the record, has played 123 games by the time he broke it on 631 shots and 42% shooting from three. Vasallo played 133 games to get to where he was as the record holder on 694 shots and 38 percent so he shot a lower percentage he shot 60 more shots and he played 10 more games than hunter did so make no mistake about it yes hunter couture played a fifth year and that contributed to him breaking the record but also keep in mind hunter missed a bunch of games for injury once and the COVID season was less games so all in all when you stack up you know pure number of shots and pure number of games hunter Couture would still have broken this record um so Try not to take away something from him that absolutely was 100% earned. Yeah, I mean, it was a shortened
2: year coming out of COVID. It was a shortened year, you know, when COVID broke. It was really just tournament time, right? It was a shortened year the following year, right? Teams were missing games. Uh, There's all these COVID protocols in place. Last year in what would have been Hunter's senior year, he missed, like, most of conference play, right? A big reason why Virginia Tech didn't reach its ceiling last year is because Kator just simply wasn't in the lineup for, like, two months. Uh, so, I, yeah, I mean, I echo everything you said, and he's been a phenomenal player for the program. He's one of the best ever wear Virginia Tech basketball uniform. That's undisputable. That's a fact. Uh, he's been great, and, you know, he continues to be really good. He's a very important piece of this year's team for Virginia Tech to get to where they want to go. Um, he was crucially important to these two games down in Orlando. He's a big reason why Virginia Tech won two games over – who I believe are tournament teams, right? I think Boise is going to make the tournament. I think Iowa State is certainly going to make the tournament. Uh, Couture was a centerpiece in both of these wins. So I I understand people just on the surface being like, oh, he's a fifth year. Like, How much stock can we put into him breaking these records? I understand that but it's a cheap argument that's done with very little research
0: so i would
2: encourage you all to read up a little
0: bit on that yeah like i said less less games less less shots higher higher percentage uh absolutely deserved and earned that record so super happy for hunter to do it down in front of his family too i think he said at one point when i ran into him shooting that content day uh for sons of saturday i think he said he had like 50 people coming to those games so uh, pretty awesome for him to be able to do that in front of his hometown crowd um but overall you know really good win um for Virginia Tech I I was you know this tournament was kind of scary there was a lot of really good teams on both sides of the bracket Uh, and to come out of there two and one was exactly what I had hoped for when we recorded last week Mike you know I looked at these three games plus the Auburn one and said you have to go two and two at worst well even if you know even if you lose to Auburn you're still two and two out of the four so um I'm pretty fired up with how things went um unfortunately you know we'll get to it here in a second, but. It didn't end well down in Florida, but before we get there, let's talk about what I think was the best win um, that the Hokies have had all year. And I think the stats will back that up pretty handedly, but Virginia Tech beat Iowa State 71 to 62. Um, Iowa State's number 27 in Ken Palm right now. So that is an awesome, awesome win for Virginia Tech on a neutral site. Uh, Iowa State's a historically very good basketball program. I have no doubt that they'll be in the tournament this year. Um, But in this game, Lynn Kidd had 13. Another really good game from Lynn Kidd, um, Sean Padula, 17-6. and six. Another really good Sean Padula game. Hunter Couture had 18, Tyler Nickel had 10. And that's kind of a theme I want to touch on. Those are your big four, right? Those are your guys who need to score night in and night out for you to be a successful team as the year progresses. Lynn Kidd, Padula, Hunter Couture, Tyler Nickel. Those are your four. If those four are in double digits on any given night, I like our shot. Um, I like our chances to win if those four are able to play like that. Um, And another guy whose game I've absolutely loved so far this year and want to see more and more of him is Makai Long, albeit limited offensively. Man, he does everything right defensive and rebounding-wise. So many second chances created by him on offensive rebounds, tip-outs, things like that, and then being able to guard you know, pretty much the other team's best player. If it's a wing or a forward, uh, he can guard whoever that is. Um, So Makai Long had eight rebounds against Iowa State and was a huge part of why Virginia Tech was able to get out of there with a nine-point win over a top 25, 30-ish team on a neutral site.
2: I agree. Best one of the
0: year. Uh,
2: Iowa State's really good. Otzelberger, like, he's underrated. Very good coach. Um, always has them in the mix. And they'll be in the mix again uh, come the end of the season, in my opinion. They're going to be one of the top three or four teams in the Big 12. That should get you a tournament bid. This will likely be a quad one win. This is gigantic, especially coming off of the South Carolina loss, which a lot of us wish Virginia Tech would have had because of what we thought South Carolina was coming into the year. Uh, this, is, this was a really, really important one to get. Uh, I had very low expectations going into the Florida-Atlantic game, which we'll talk about in a minute. But this was by far the, the best showing that the Hokies had in Orlando. Uh, the Boise State win, you got to grind it out a little bit, right? I feel like Iowa State, they kind of had to grind out a little bit too. But I was really impressed with how the defense played in both of these games. Um, The the defense is certainly trending in a very good direction. I think Makai Long and Robbie Barron in particular are a big part of that, two pieces that um, weren't on last year's team that came in as transfers and have really helped the Hokies defensively. Um, It's a different-looking team this year. They're two of the big reasons why, right, with with the defense they provide. And the rebounding that – they're capable of providing, I, I say in Barron's case, because I, th- I think he could do a better job on the glass. Uh, but Mekhi Long's been really good on the glass, right? So um, solid there. MJ Collins, he's still not shooting it great, right? I think he kind of is what he is offensively. I know he worked on it a lot in the offseason. Mike Young talked about that. But, like, it's not materializing. And we're getting a larger and larger sample size now where I think this is going to be kind of, you know, he is who he is. Do I expect him to improve a little bit offensively? Yeah, I mean, that's my hope. But he has not been putting the ball in the bucket. What he has been doing is defending at an incredibly high level. So he's a really good guy to have on the court. We just got to find other ways to score, right? Um, I think that's where the Tyler Nichol conversation comes in, where him starting to find himself offensively, in Nichol's case, is really, really important. Because I think when you don't have that scoring punch that you were hoping for— in M.J. Collins and Robbie Barron, I think you're getting it now with Tyler Nickel getting more comfortable in the offense. He played very well in Orlando um, in the two wins. Very comfortable in his role coming off of the bench, provides that instant offense. He's looking for his shot more. He's knocking down the open ones now, which he wasn't doing early in the year. He's definitely finding himself um, in more and more situations, more and more opportunities for Mike Young. And it's because of what he's providing offensively, but I think also he's not as lost as he was defensively from a team standpoint, a team defense standpoint. He's been fine in terms of like individually guarding his guy, I think, all year. But off the ball, um, especially in some of the early wins I, and in the South Carolina game, too, in the loss, I thought he was a little bit lost off the ball defensively. He seems to be getting a little bit more comfortable with um, the team's defensive scheme. And I just think he's going to be a really important piece moving forward. And the fact that he's starting to add uh, more to the punch offensively off the bench is incredibly crucial, especially with MJ Collins and Robbie Barron's continued struggles to put the ball in the basket.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're, we're we're having a pretty hard time getting scoring production from your starting three and your starting four. um, Like you mentioned with Collins and Baran. And I think if you see a slight, progression to the mean as in what they have been over their career, particularly with Baron, you know, he's probably got a pretty good career sample size as to what he can provide offensively. Um, If he was able to get closer to his career numbers and MJ can get, you know, even add 5% to his shooting percentage. um, That'll be a huge boost for this team. And it's part of why, you know, here's a popular take I've seen, which is Tyler nickel needs to start. Well, okay. Yes. On the surface, Tyler nickel, probably should, right? He probably should be a starter. He's a really, really good player and can do pretty much everything you want from, you know, on the basketball floor. But why does he need to start? And I say that because, you know, in every game, they're pretty much playing the same number of minutes, MJ Collins and Tyler Nichol. Um, and if you start Tyler Nickel for his scoring, well, then you look at the bench and you've got Poteet, Long, Rex Steiner, and Collins. You don't have any scoring coming off the bench. Um, so I, I think <laughs> I that's, think part, that's of part of the thought process in keeping does. Tyler on the bench. He's going to be in your finishing lineup. He's not going to be in your starting lineup, but he's going to finish games. We've seen him do it against South Carolina. We saw him do it in all of these games down in Orlando. He is the, the finishing three um, at that position, and he provides scoring off the bench that otherwise wouldn't be there. So I have no real problem with the way that minutes and the rotation have been distributed. I think it makes all the sense in the world. Robbie Barron is your starting four. Against Iowa State, he played 16 minutes. Mikhail Long played 24. So I I think the the three and the four in terms of the starter and the backup, in quotes, uh, are very interchangeable. And that's how it's going to be throughout the year. I think it offers you a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more punch off the bench, especially offensively with Tyler Nichols. So I have no problem with the way things have been going there. And like you said, Collins isn't scoring the ball. He's one of eight from the floor against Iowa State. Not good numbers at all, right? But he had four steals, three assists, five rebounds. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what you want. That's what Mike Young wanted from MJ Collins when he talked about him preseason. He wants him to be able to go out and guard the other team's best player. And he's done that, and he's done that pretty well. Uh, hopefully he's okay. He got hurt in the FAU game, which we will flip to and talk about now. So Florida Atlantic came in, or is currently, I should say, is currently as we sit on the 28th, uh, the number 21 team in Ken Palm. A uh, quick thing of note: Virginia Tech was uh, plus five on in terms of betting line spread against Iowa State, and they were plus two, I think, by the time uh, Florida Florida Atlantic tipped off. Excuse me. Uh, so Virginia Tech was actually, according to Vegas, a worse matchup for Iowa State than in a game that they won, and they were against FAU in a game that they got absolutely blown out. So Virginia Tech loses this game to a really, really good Florida Atlantic team, uh, eighty-four to fifty. Um, I can't decide if it was better or if it was worse than the final score indicated because at points the score was worse than it indicated. But then also, you know, with a minute and a half left in the first half, Virginia Tech's down three. Um, so it was a really odd game from that sense. Um, I thought the Hokies looked great for 18 minutes in the first half. And then I don't know what happened. I think Florida Atlantic wore on them. Um, a lot of really athletic guys who could shoot the ball at a high level, and they just roll them in numbers. Um, this, they just roll guys off the bench who can do the same thing that the guy that started ahead of them can do. Uh, it's a really impressive uh, roster construction and you know system that uh, Coach May is running down there. Uh, and the announcers talked about it over and over again, how they would have you know against – I think they said it was either eight or nine guys started games um, in this tournament for Florida Atlantic. They really don't care. They, they'll just roll whoever because uh, they can all do pretty much the same thing. Um, and it, it wore on Virginia Tech after 18 minutes because then uh, FAU went on a 17 to0 run, I believe maybe and even more than that. Uh, and from there it was pretty much over. So um, Virginia Tech got dominated in the second half in particular, 52 to 26. It was just bad. Um, some of the reasons I think it was bad, I'll start with this. Uh, we were out rebounded by 11, not great. Um, not great at all, can't have that happen. Turnover battle was actually Virginia Tech won the turnover battle by one. So that's kind of shocking when you see a, you know, a 34 point loss to not lose the turnover battle, but got out rebounded by 11. FAU shot 56 from the floor and 40 from three. Virginia Tech shot 33 from the floor and 11 from three. Um, and for all intents and purposes, Virginia Tech didn't make a meaningful three in this game. Uh, they both threes came from Rechsteiner and Camden with like less than three minutes to go in the game in complete mop-up duty. Um, Overall, it was just kind of one of those where you just burn the tape and you you just move on from this game. Um, And, again, really good FAU team, but um, just burn the tape and move on because there's nothing you're going to learn from that second half.
2: You play that game 10 times. I don't think Virginia Tech loses by 30-plus 10 times, right? I I do think – my my point being, I think FAU is a better team. I think FAU is a top 15 team in the country, top 10 team in the country maybe. They're really good. They're deep. They're athletic. They play incredible defense. May is a very good up and coming coach. I don't think Virginia Tech gets beat that bad. Like play a game ten times, it really got away from them. It snowballed. Um, Shot the ball really poorly from three. That hurts. Uh, You credit FAU. They were just. They really ran Virginia Tech off a three point line in the first half. That was a lot of it, right? No real open threes. Uh, Really good deep defensive team and this is where i think virginia tech's lack of depth really hurts them and it's a point i wanted to make in the um i, I forgot to make it a couple of minutes ago it's a point i wanted to make in the both the iowa state and boise state wins like if virginia tech loses either lynn kidd hunter couture sean padula or tyler nickel for any extended period of time it's not going to be good I, I there is just not enough scoring on this team when, without the four of those guys on the floor um it builds off of your who's starting, who's finishing discussion, which I totally agree with you in lockstep. If you move Tyler Nichol in his starting lineup, that's totally fine. You have no scoring off the bench. I mean, you, you named Rex Steiner, you know, you named Makai Long, uh, you named um, Elijah Petit. In this scenario, MJ Collins would be going to the bench. Now, those four guys I just mentioned, like, are they combining for five points per game? Like, I, I don't know that they are, right? So, You've got to have some sort of balance between starters and the bench because when you go, when you start rotating some of the starters off the floor, like you can't go to a lineup that has like zero offense in it, which I think in that scenario, you'd be playing, you know, those four guys a lot of times together in some combination where like three or four of them are on the floor at once. What are you going to do? Not score for four minute stretches? Like you can't do that. Um, So Mike Young's hands are a little bit tied because, you know, some of the existing guys on the roster right now aren't putting the ball in the basket and they need to start doing that for Virginia Tech to reach their ceiling against teams like FAU, Tech is going to struggle because they're, they're really deep and they run a million guys at you, and Tech just doesn't have the playable depth that I think we thought they would have, especially on the offensive end of the floor. Like, yes, Mike Young is playing eight or nine guys, and I think that's good, right, and that's an improvement, but he's not playing eight or nine guys that he can play for extended stretches together, you know? It's, we're sprinkling in Rex Steiner. You know, we're, we're sprinkling in Meligel um, Petit. Um, Nichols obviously playing huge minutes. Camden's not playing at all, really. He's a guy that I think you, you would hope would play you know, in his, in his uh, second full year in the program, his third year of college basketball. I know he missed a lot of time with Memphis, but you hope he would play more by now. So, I, I mean, Texan, kind of a precarious situation. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out against Auburn, how it plays out against better competition in ACC play. But I think one of Virginia Tech's blind spots here is offensively they're low on depth and, and scoring options. They really only have four guys they can turn to. It's it's Kid, it's Couture, it's Padula, and it's Tyler Nickel. And outside of that, right now they don't really have a lot of offense. And, and they got to find that somewhere that has to improve for this to be sustainable in ACC play. When you're getting into January and February and it's a grind and you're playing two or three games a week, like you've got to figure that out. So I'm optimistic, right? Because I think Virginia Tech's trending in a really really good direction defensively, right? So I'm optimistic. Burn the tape from FAU. Let's see what they can roll out here against Auburn on Wednesday. I'm optimistic because of how the defense is playing that this is going to be a sustainable season in terms of like if the offense isn't always there, I think Virginia Tech can grind out some wins in ACC play in a way they couldn't a year ago. But I am still concerned about the offense when they start to face better competition, when they're facing the Carolinas and the Dukes of the world, uh, the UVAs of the world even, that, that can match you defensively. Will you have enough offense in those games to grind out a win. If you get into the ACC tournament and you absolutely need to win, you know, can you grind it out offensively? Are you going to get enough out of these guys late in the year? That's still my concern, especially when you see Padula and Katora playing more than 35 minutes a game still. Uh it's it's tough. So encouraged by the defense is the big takeaway from Orlando. A little bit still concerned about the offense. There's time to figure it out, but you know, Barron and and MJ Collins and and Makai Long like those guys gotta provide something offensively they really do um protect to kind of reach the ceiling that I think they need to reach
0: yeah and I think uh, I think Barron and Barron Collins uh, will improve um offensively back to closer to their you know the back of the baseball card numbers um one other thing to talk about with this tournament before we flip to a, a couple things that I want to touch on uh, as we head into the Auburn game but Uh, The 84 points that FAU scored against Virginia Tech was the least amount of points they scored in this tournament. Uh, They scored 91 against Butler and 96 against Texas A&M. So um, they they can absolutely fill it up in a hurry. So it's a really good basketball team down there in Boca. Um, They've got Liberty this week, and then they've got Charleston and Illinois. So they've got some interesting games coming up to keep an eye on as well. With that, I do want to touch on a couple of things. Len Kidd continues to be phenomenal seven games into the year. He's averaging uh, almost 16 points a game, eight rebounds on 75% shooting and 85% from the line. I don't think this is a fluke, um, and I will will talk more about that in a second here. Uh, Sean Padula has also been really, really good. He's had stretches of poor shooting, and really it's more poor finishing around the rim. Um, But overall, his numbers have been phenomenal. Also, 16 points a game, five assists, and I believe his turnover number is two. Yeah, two. So he's got the two-to-one assist to turnover that you look for as a point guard. Really, really good stuff for Sean Padula. Hunter Couture, obviously, has been really good. Um, one thing I want to talk about, these slumps, these really, really weird stretches of not scoring the basketball. Um, they're kind of unexplainable, but then they also have an explanation that I think could solve it. Um What's so weird about these slumps is they're really long and they in the middle of all of them, we're getting good looks. So it's like it's not like we're going stretches without getting wide open looks from three or getting the ball into the paint uh, to Poteet or Kid. It's just really strange stuff. And it's really snake bit us against FAU in a really big way against uh, South Carolina and the other loss in a pretty big way. And even in the wins. I believe it was the Iowa State game. We were we were, you know, double digit points clear of them for a long time. And they were able to kind of crawl back in within 10 due to a, a mini slump, you know, a four and a half minute one, which is still long, but for the way Virginia Tech's been at times this year, that's a that's a short slump. Um, we have to figure out a way to get around that. And one solution I would like to put out into the air is a combination of Lynn Kidd and Tyler Nickel. And what I mean by that is. Uh, Virginia Tech in the past has done a really good job of getting their guys into advantageous positions to score the basketball, that, whether that be Keve Aluma or Grandpa Silly. Um, I see no reason why they couldn't do similar with Lynn Kidd. Like running sets with the goal of getting Kidd a one-on-one situation. Um, and then I would do the same thing for Tyler Nickel because he has shown the ability to knock down the deep ball and also get into the middle of the lane Hit a runner, hit a mid-range jump shot, or a floater, or get to the rim and get fouled. Um, that skill set is something that I don't think Couture and Padula provide on a as a consistent basis as Tyler Nickel. I love to find ways to run sets to get Tyler the ball in a one-on-one position to try to get a shot off or get to the rim and get fouled. And I think if you do that with both kid and Nickel, your kind of best one-on-one scorers. Maybe um, that provides you a you know. A go to the well type solution when you're gone on a four minute scoreless drought where Couture has missed a couple threes or Padula missed a three, uh, and they've got to find a way to do that because these long stretches of scoring of where they or without scoring has been where Virginia Tech's gotten kind of in trouble. And I think Kid and Nickel could be potentially a, a soft landing spot in order to solve that pro, that problem.
2: I I totally agree with you. Everything you just said. Um, the the Sean Padula break your guy down and, you know, penetrate and get to the bucket has been working great. But when he's facing a better defender and can't get downhill at will, like you saw us a lot in the Florida-Atlanta game, they got to have something else to go to because, undisputably, right, undisputably, like the best offense so far this year has been Padula getting downhill, getting to the bucket on his own, or driving it's just driving kick right where they collapse on him he kicks it out for a three that that's been virginia tech's offense this year to a t and kid has been really good around the basket right um rebounding all the putbacks the rim running he's been really good at that right but the best offense this year for virginia tech has been padula getting downhill that's just not going to be sustainable against better competition in the acc it's just not it won't even be sustainable on wednesday night against auburn i don't think so figuring out how to get Lynn Kidd in advantageous matchups, advantageous situations down on the block to give Virginia Tech something else to go to when, when they're slumping. And Padula can't break his guy down and get to the bucket. He's capable. It's, it's not like he can't do it. It's clear that he can do it. He's doing it at a very high level this year, but he's not going to be able to do it for 20-something games. It's just not going to work that way. So figuring out something else to go to that's not like a fail safe but has a high probability of getting you a good shot on a possession is what Virginia Tech needs to figure out because the drive and kick becomes easy to defend if you have a good on-ball defender. And there's a bunch of really good on-ball point guard defenders in the ACC. It's incredibly important that Virginia Tech finds finds out a, a way to untap that part of their offense, right? And I, I think Nickel and Kid are the two guys you point to. Because even like Hunter Couture... He's never really been the guy to just go hunting for his shot, right? Like off the dribble, that's not his game. It's the catch and shoot three point game. Even he can get downhill and get to the basket, but that's not you know his best his best situation, his ideal situation is catching a ball on a driving kick and burying a bunch of threes and playing incredible defense. Like that's he's a three definition of a three and D guy, right? So I think Nickel provides you a little bit more off the bounce. I think Kid with what he's shown on the block. Um, can really untap that next level of the offense for Virginia Tech to combat some of the issues I mentioned and then specifically to combat what you were just mentioning with you know, not going through these really long slumps where you really can't buy a bucket for four or five minutes in a, in a game or in a
0: half. Yeah, you need a bailout option. And I think, you know, you think back in the past, it was Basile and it was Illuma before him. Uh, I think Kid can give you a little bit of that, and I think Tyler Nickel can get his shot pretty much whenever he wants. Um mostly due to the fact that he can score from all three levels at a, at a higher level than Sean Padula, Hunter Couture can um, at this point, mostly due to size. So uh, I would love to figure out ways to get those two going. Obviously, Tyler still isn't fully comfortable or consistent in his being comfortable against higher-level competition, and I think that'll just come with time. So with that, um, we will move on to the Auburn game. Hey guys, this is Ali Jennings III, wide receiver for your Virginia Tech Hokies. When I committed to Virginia Tech football, I committed to the best. That's why I chose Harvey's GM in Radford. Why settle for less when you can have the best? Go to Harvey's GM for all of your vehicle needs. Tell them Ali sent you. That's Harvey's GM, Tyler Ave in Radford, or go to their website at harveysgm.com for more info. So Virginia Tech heads down to Auburn uh, in the first edition of the SEC-ACC Challenge on the men's get side. So first of all, Virginia Tech drawing LSU for the women and Auburn for the men, tough, tough draw. Um, but going down to Auburn, Billy Ray will be there. I'm jealous. I wish I was going to be able to be there. Um, Auburn's a really, really good basketball team. Bruce Pearl, obviously a really, really good coach. Auburn is currently 4-1, and one, not ranked, which is weird, um they are number 14 in ken palm which is why i say it's weird that they're not ranked Uh, and their only loss being to baylor in the first game of the year uh, an 88 to 82 loss to baylor who's currently number 11 in ken palm and number nine in the ap poll so make no mistake there's no number next to auburn's name on the on the espn ticker but they are a very very good basketball team and will be all year long um they're kind of headlined by johnny broom who Currently averages 15, 7, and 2. Really good forward, 6'10 junior. I would imagine that there's the matchup for him from Virginia Tech defensive standpoint will be Baran and Long. Um, He's kind of their guy who makes it go. Really, really good player. And then at the guard spot, they have a freshman, Aiden Holloway from Charlotte, North Carolina, who averages 13 and close to four assists per game. Uh, So this is a really good Auburn team. Um it's going to be a really tough environment that place will be packed. Uh it's it's a, actually it's not that big of an arena but it looks like it is from the outside. I've walked around that campus before and it looks like a big arena but it only seats 9,000 people. It's kind of odd. Um it's going to be a really cool environment. I'm excited for this ACC SEC event in general. I think Virginia Tech, you know, burn the tape from FAU, go down there and play a game the way you did against Iowa State and let the chips fall where they may. Again, you know, when you win the Boise State and the Iowa State game, giving you the chance to go that two and two that I talked about last week over the stretch of four really hard non-conference games, um, you're kind of playing with house money right now uh, in this Auburn game. If you can go down there and knock off a really good team on the road, huge resume boost, right, as the year progresses. But Auburn is a team that I think would finish top three in the ACC, as was FAU. I think that team would also finish top three, top four in the ACC. So these are really good teams that Virginia Tech has played now in back-to-back games, this one being on the road. Um, just get back to the basics, play that really good defense you played all week in Orlando, um, and find some more consistency on the offensive end. I look for Link Kid to have a pretty big impact in this game, um, as well as you know Hunter Couture from deep. So it'll be an interesting one. I'm really, really excited for it. I wish it wasn't at 9.15 at night, but the game right before it on ESPN is – Uh, one that Virginia Tech fans will be interested in as well, UVA and Texas A&M down there in Charlottesville. Uh, I'll be watching that game. But, Mike, do you have any thoughts on Auburn? House money game, definitely.
2: Uh, A quad one opportunity because I I think Auburn's going to be good enough at the end of the year. That'll be a quad one type win. At worst, quad two. Auburn's really good. Uh, Like Ed mentioned, don't let the ranking – Or lack of ranking, I guess, deceive you. They're very good. Bruce Pearl's the coach. Like, they're a good team, man. Like, they're good. This is going to be a tough game on the road. Uh, But, like you said, I mean, picking up the Boise State and Iowa State wins are huge, I think, in a way that kind of helps you avenge that early season loss to South Carolina. Picking up the Auburn win is a feather in your cap, right? That's three tournament wins on the board already, right? So, this would be huge. It would be a gigantic win. If Virginia Tech does not win this game, it's not the end of the world, right, to their tournament chances or anything like that. You know, Virginia Tech losing to to two tournament teams and the other one being a Power 5 team that, that looks certainly better than what people thought coming into the year wouldn't be the end of the world, right? So let's just burn that FAU tape, see how the team performs. I do think the Hokies match up a bit better against Auburn than they did against FAU. Um Auburn doesn't boast the depth. They're not running nine or ten guys out at you. Um, this this will be a better matchup for Virginia Tech. I do think defensively, uh, we'll see how Broome plays, right, Johnny Broome? But I will say that I think defensively, Virginia Tech will have some answers here um, in terms of making life a little bit more difficult for him. So I think going into the matchup, you're encouraged by that, that he's like the head of the snake, and I think you have multiple guys you can throw at him um, in this basketball game. So... I do. I'm optimistic about this game. I think Tech will have an opportunity, obviously, to go down and win this game. I do think it'll be a challenge. I do think Auburn's very good, uh, but I also think that the Hokies going into it have a pretty decent matchup here, and I do think that they could they can play well and give themselves a shot with a few minutes to go to see if they can pull out a huge road win.
0: Yeah, go out and punch them in the face a little bit, because a huge part of why Auburn isn't ranked. Um, is that they haven't really played anybody. They played that Baylor game, and they lost. Uh, Baylor's obviously a very good team. Uh, the only other game of note that they've played was a neutral site game against Notre Dame, who people don't expect to be all that great this year. Uh, they won 83 to 59, but at the, in the first half, at the end of the first half, Notre Dame was only down six. Um, it was kind of a second half flurry from Auburn that really pulled them away in this one, but um, they haven't really played anybody. So if you can come out and hang with them through the first 10, um you know, give, you know put some thoughts in the back of auburn's players minds but uh very good team very well coached gonna be a cool environment um and i look forward to seeing how virginia tech handles what this will be their first true road game yeah first true road game of the year for virginia tech so excited to see how they're able to handle that but um come out and punch them in the mouth don't come out scared dump it in the link kill let him dunk on some people he's been doing a good job of that this year so um lsu for the women on thursday and auburn for the men on wednesday um as we record this on tuesday so we'll get this out right now um everyone give it a good listen and watch our two programs play against some really tough matchups these are kind of measuring stick games um so we'll see how these go but mike go ahead and sign us out
2: we will talk next week we'll see how the Hokies perform both on the men's and women's side two huge games at the very least come out with one and one we need one win have these two games at least right um, on the on the downside right let's try to pick up two uh, we'll talk next week go hokies
1: Tripping in the sand, we smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand. But I saw you dance like you want to in my head. Love, all that she said is, Oh, I know what you're thinking.